So last week we talked about uh, Satan, demons, and what the uh, sort of the plan, uh, the why. Why do these dudes exist anyway? Uh, it wasn't an oops as far as God is concerned. It was part of his plan, his strategy, and so we talked about that. And so this morning will be a little bit more nuts and bolts in the sense of our daily life and the struggle we have with our adversary and how we can win. My grandson that lives with us is taking uh, one of those martial art ones. I forget the name of it, <laughs> but he goes every week, has his white uniform he puts on, and he goes and does his thing, has matches. And so he'll want to show me some moves uh, periodically, which I'm fine with as long as he doesn't do them on me. He's not very big, but I think he still could hurt me. <laughs> and, uh, and so the strategy, the, the, the Bible talks about the strategy that uh, Paul says, we're not ignorant of his strategy. And I read that and sometimes I think we probably are ignorant of his strategy. And so understanding what the, uh, the moves are, the tools are, the ways that they attempt to uh, destroy us and to conquer us and to control us is important to understand, especially so with, uh, if you're in a uh, wrestling or something of that sort, there's the moves that the opponent makes and there's the counter moves that you make and that's what we want to discover what ours are. So I'm sort of rambling here until everybody gets a paper and gets set down. Not to hurry up any Frank Rosso, but you know, we're all waiting on you. <laughs> that makes you a very important person. <clears throat> All right, in your notes, major part of living our life, major part of living our life is the struggle that we have with demons as we attempt to live godly lives. And so they are our opponent. They're always trying to mess with us, tempt us, deceive us. And uh, so that is our struggle. And if we're going to do well in life, living for God, we have to figure this one out, how to successfully win those wrestling matches, as it were, with our opponent. Ephesians 6, we read this last week. And it's a great passage to memorize, by the way, if you're doing Scripture memory and you're looking for passages uh, uh, to memorize. Finally, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, the schemes he has, schemes, strategy, things that he's doing to try to take us down. The schemes of the devil, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's, my struggle is not with you, my struggle isn't with me, it's with these principalities. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I mentioned last week the term heavens are used in the Bible, and there's three heavens. The, uh, the one that where God lives, uh, his throne is in heaven. The third heaven, the, the second heaven is where Pluto is, and all the um, billions and trillions of stars that are out there. And the first is this that's around us, this air here, in which these demons are everywhere uh, deceiving us. Number two, the Psalms were written by various authors as poems and songs of their own life as they struggled to live for God. So I read five Psalms every day in my Bible reading plan, along with uh, 
Old Testament, New Testament. I read one chapter of Proverbs today. So Psalms, there's 150 chapters in that book, and I get through the book every month, uh, five chapters every day. And so uh, they are, it's a book of poems, of songs. Also, it's a book of prayers. And uh, one of the things I did a number of years ago is I took the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, here's the model prayer. And I also took the assumption that much of Psalms is a prophecy of the very prayers of Jesus himself. And so I took some color crayons and I took each seven aspects of the Lord's Prayer. I signed a color crayon to each of the seven segments of the Lord's Prayer. And then I read through Psalms each time I did any of those segments that were a prayer of Psalms, I highlighted with that color. And so one of the Lord's Prayer is deliver us from temptation uh, deliver us from evil. The, the construction of evil would be deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And a proper, uh, uh, if you translated it, it's not just evil, it's the evil. And uh, so deliver us from the evil one. From the e- and so assuming Psalms are a, a prophecy of the prayers of Jesus, I had a red crayon represented anything that had to do with the prayer in Psalms. And so you can read the Psalms in most of the places where adversary is used, enemy is used. You can make that application of that as a prophecy of the very prayers of Jesus. And you recognize as you highlight in red and then go back and read it. There's a lot of red in Psalms uh, that's written there about our combat with our enemy, as it were. Number three, the Psalms were also prophecies of the future with many of them being a prophecy of the Messiah. That's, uh, this basic principle is one that I'm surprised at how few believers have heard this before. It's uh, one of those basics uh, of reading the Bible is that Jesus, when he was, after he rose from the dead, he took disciples and he he went and showed them where he was uh, in prophecy and in Psalms. And so obviously there's a bunch there that he showed them from the Psalms. Here's the ones that we know we can grasp easily. Psalms 22, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now you're familiar with the crucifixion of Christ. You recognize all of that. And so it was in Psalms way before it actually happened to Jesus. And that's not the only pass. That's an obvious one. But um, much, if not most, of the Psalms are a direct prophecy of the life that Jesus lived. Much of it personal as you read that in the form of prayers. Here's one, Psalms 107, verse 25. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. And so you read that. If you're paying attention, you reckon, oh, yeah, that happened. Uh, The disciples, they were in the... Sea of Galilee, and there was a big storm, and Jesus quieted him. You know what's interesting? If you read this and study that, the very first line, for he spoke and raised up a stormy wind. And uh, I don't know if you've read the, the gospel account of uh, uh, when that occurred, and it ever occurred to you that he made it happen? 
just for an opportunity for his disciples to uh, toughen up a bit. And, uh, and then when they whined and cried, he quieted the waves. Peter got a chance to walk on the water as he came out. And so he actually did that. Number four, many of the Psalms were written by the authors about their struggles with their enemies. So there's a number of authors people wrote. David obviously is one that uh, wrote about half of the Psalms. There's 150 chapters. A lot of people think he wrote them all, uh, approximately half. And uh, Moses wrote uh, some of the Psalms. A guy named Asaph wrote some, uh, even Ezra. Uh, and so you look most of the time at the beginning, you can see the author there. Some of them, there's no author mentioned and so there's some guesses if you have a commentary they, they'll surmise who might have written that particular one Psalms 119 the longest chapter in Psalms uh, there's no author listed there but uh, most uh, that study would suggest that Ezra wrote that particular Psalm and uh, they have various authors number five most of these Psalms are prophecies of the struggles that Jesus had with the devil and his demons So I, I'm pretty sure the devil can read, and so he reads and he recognizes what God's plan was and how he was going to save me and save you. And, uh, and so it says he tempted, that we have the, the, the account of the temptation of Jesus, but that wasn't the only time. I left him temporarily, but it was a constant in his life where the devil and the demons are trying to get him to sin. Even just a little sin would have totally wrecked the plan. Uh, and we would be sitting here with no hope. Jesus, as our Messiah, as our Savior, as our substitute, needed to be perfect in order to be our substitute to pay for our sins. Psalms 3, chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I woke. The Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I've memorized that particular psalm. And so as I struggle against principalities and powers, I want to struggle the way Jesus did. And so memorizing many of these psalms gives me a prayer to pray. Uh, when I recognize those temptations are taking place in my life. Psalm 6, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my, with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Uh, Again, a great deal of confidence when he talks about his weeping, his grieving, the sorrow, the depression, all the problems that come into our life. And uh, we want to gain victory over those tough times and to pray the way Jesus prayed is a, a key to that happening. John 17, or excuse me, Psalm 17, I have called upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my speech, wondrously show your loving kindness. O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them, 
Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. It is like a lion that is eager to tear and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. And Peter writes, you know, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so you see the use of lion there in that passage. Um, Psalms 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me in my distress. I called upon the Lord cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. So just from that little bit that we've read out of Psalms, if we were to say, what is the major tool or resource that we have in our uh, confrontation, our struggle every day with the kingdom of darkness? Well, it's clear from Psalms that it's prayer, that we pray when we are being tempted, we pray when we're, uh, we're being uh, uh, beat on, as it were, by the circumstances of life. And God is the one who gives strength. And as you read the Psalms, you'll see that's the number one prayer request uh, as he deals with his enemies is for strength. And again, this passage, I love you, O Lord, my strength. He is my strength. He is my shield. He is my fortress. He is my rock. Those words are repeated all through the Psalms as uh, we're dealing with our enemies. Psalms 18.30, this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, you'll probably understand when we get to that portion. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet, sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. That's the part I like. <laughs> I can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me. Your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me. My feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you have girded me with strength for for battle, you have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. In Romans 16, Paul makes this statement. He says, we will trample Satan under our feet. It's interesting how many times in Psalms that very phrase is used. Uh, we will trample them under our feet. Psalms 27:1. the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. So you remember in the Gospel of John, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas shows up with all the soldiers, and they say, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, and what happened? Everybody fell flat. It's sort of like this, the... Wind came and just blew them all over. And you know that you'll find seven references in Psalms to that, to that very event. And um, I've lost my place here. 
Psalm 68. Did I read that one to you yet? No, it was on 27. 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. We've, we've sung that song. That used to be a chorus we'd sing a lot. Let those who hate him flee before him as, he, uh, as the smoke is driven away. So drive them away as wax melts before the fire. So let the wicked perish before God. Let the righteous be glad. Let them exalt before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts whose name is the Lord and exalt before him. We're going to get a little bit later to some specifics, so remember this passage. We talk about how uh, do we uh, defeat uh, the devil. And so read through the Psalms, five chapters, every single day, every day. Pay attention to those enemy passages and observe there what the psalmist referred to as their security, as their hope, as their defense, and you will find repeatedly uh, these kinds of passages. Let the righteous be glad, let them exalt before God, yes, let them rejoice with gladness, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the desert, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before him. I don't know how many times people will say, you know, I don't really enjoy the worship time, that's too bad, I'm going to be doing it a lot when we get to heaven. And also, it's one of those things that God in his word has made clear is one of our uh, defenses against the kingdom of darkness. Um, and when people say, I really don't enjoy the worship time, yeah, you're just like the demons. They don't either. Uh, in fact, they, they leave uh, during worship time. And so I just as soon be on God's side as their side. So maybe you ought to learn to like the worship time. Take some voice lessons. And... Um, Psalms 81.11, but my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would hasten, would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Great passage right there. Again, uh, notice the number of times in Psalms that phrase is repeated. Uh, God's uh, promise Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him. Their time of punishment would be forever. I read quite a few there of Psalms. Some of you might be thinking, is he ever going to get finished with it? I just want to make a point. Uh, that is a great book to read on a regular basis if you want to be a winner every day against the kingdom of darkness. Uh, the book describes the battle over and over and over again, most of them being the very prayers and experiences of Jesus himself. This is how he won. This is how I can win. And so I've memorized a bunch of the Psalms and repeat them, meditate on them, pray them so that I can stomp Satan under my feet. And so regularly when I pray, I'll just start out with a little trash talking. Uh, you know, I... The devil can't read my mind. The demons, I probably have never seen the devil. He can be in one place at one time and there's more important uh, people he's going to work on. But I bet I've got a number of demons that follow me everywhere I go. And so they can't read my mind, but they can hear me when I talk. And I'll say, hey, you guys are losers. <laughs> and Jesus defeated you on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he paraded you through heaven and they all laughed at you. You bunch of losers. You have absolutely zero power in my life. And I'm getting ready to pray to the God of the universe right now, and I'm going to stomp you under my feet. So if you know what's good for you, just leave. And uh, 
So you can do that if you like. I, like, I kind of enjoy it personally. <laughs> Number six, demons gain great con- greater control over Christians' lives incrementally as we disobey the Lord and drift away from Him. So circle that one, put about six stars around it. So you know uh, uh, the devil in the book of Psalms, uh, excuse me, Job, that Mike is preaching from now, uh, right at the beginning is this conversation between the devil and God about Job, and he gives uh, Job, uh, Satan says right at the beginning, he's kind of frustrated, he says, the only reason he's cool and good is because you put a hedge of protection on him, I can't touch him. Well, that's true of you. And so it was sort of a, an event that God brings into his life there at that point, whether it's for our instruction or for Job, Job's growth, we don't know, we'll ask when we get there exactly why that happened, but it happened. God gives permission, opens the door, as it were. And so when you became a believer in Jesus, the fence was built around you to protect you from the kingdom of darkness. But there's some gates in it. It's sort of like you're inside this fence and there's a whole bunch of Dobermans all the way around just barking and yapping. They want to get at you. And there's some gates there. And so if you walk over and open one of those gates, anybody watches you say, you are a dummy. One time when I went to, we went to visit uh, my daughter Sally and her husband Aaron and their three kids, they live in Oahu, I went on this event where we got on a boat and we went out a ways to where there was a bunch of sharks and uh, they had this steel cage that you got in and they lowered in the water and I had a snorkel on and I got his GoPro, uh, my son-in-law's GoPro. Well, there's just hundreds of sharks swimming all around the cage and there they are. In fact, they were more than a foot away from me. One of the times I looked down and my foot, I was standing on the edge of this cave with hanging on it, and my foot was sticking out about six inches, and a shark swung by. I said, whoa, put that in a little far. And uh, I've shown that. I should have got it and shown it to you before. My son-in-law took it, and he put it on a little video thing, and he, uh, the, the theme music for Jaws he had playing in the background, <laughs> so it's really cool. So... Uh, would I have climbed out of that cage? No. Not in my right mind. That cage was my protector against those sharks. And so we have that around us, but we regularly swing open the doors. See, y'all come in and eat me uh, by the way we live our life. And so they gain control, uh, access to our life, as it were, incrementally. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, yet do not sin. That means the emotion of anger. I feel, ang- I feel anger about every 15 seconds. <laughs> There's always something that's, uh, uh, just, you know, the emotion of anger just this is sort of a constant. But don't sin. That means I don't have to be rude and obnoxious and irritable and cranky just because I feel that way. I can act contrary to the way I feel because it's the right thing to do. Don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That means if you do sin, that is, you do lip off to somebody, be grouchy, irritable to your wife, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means take care of it before the... That's a little bit of grace. You get some time till the sun goes down. That's why I always... last thing I do before I go to sleep at night is to examine my life of the day, confess all known sin to God. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Opportunity means legal jurisdiction. A foothold is the way some translations word it. And so... When I was small, when Dad was still in the service, we traveled up and down the West Coast in a Plymouth station wagon following his ship. We were always there when it came into port, and when it left, we'd leave to the next place and moved 23 times by the time Dad retired when I was 12. 
And in the car, we would play Monopoly for hours in the back of the Plymouth station wagon. And I was the oldest. And there was a time in which I was yeah, the best reader of the bunch. And so I would make up some rules. <laughs> Often they would change as the game went along. Uh, so, but you play with rules. Without rules, you can't play anything. Can't play basketball, can't play football, can't play Monopoly. You've got to have some rules so everybody's on the same page. Well, there's rules, spiritual warfare kind of rules. The devil knows what they are. And I can't change them. God made them, and he continues to make them. And so here's one right there. You give the devil a foothold in your life if you get angry and don't take care of it before the sun goes down. You just swing the door open and say, y'all come in and bite me. And so what is true of anger is true of most of the sins that we would commit if we don't take care of them. Incrementally, they gain greater access to my life. Now, they don't hit me with a stick. They don't put a ring in my nose. They talk to us. We hear them in our thoughts. But over there, it's not that big a deal. Right here, it's a big deal. And so my friend Tom White, who is really involved in spiritual warfare, he calls them Klingons. These little demons that have gained access to our life because of our incremental sin that we've not taken care of, they get real close and personal, and pretty soon they're jabbering at us like a bunch of kids, and we thoughts pop in, thoughts pop in, thoughts pop in. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And pretty soon it gets tough when you've got all these thoughts that are coming from the kingdom of darkness popping into your head because you've given them this access to your life by sinning and not taking care of it and continuing to do it. Luke 22, 3, Satan entered into Judas. Why? Who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve, and he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. So why? John 12, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Uh, I have a friend who was real involved in our church, went through leadership class. I mean, just a gung-ho committed Christian and had a job uh, where he dealt with money and kept a little, just a little. And then he kept a little bit more and then a little bit more, and then pretty soon, inevitable happened, uh, he got caught and went to prison. And as a result of that, his wife divorced him, his kids turned their back on him, he lost everything. Now, he's walking with the Lord now, he's close to him, but he's still not where he was and still doesn't have the family that he once had. So you think, how did that happen? Just a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit, a little bit. So the devil, he gains control over us just a little bit, just a little bit. Incrementally, they gain control over our life. And the more we do without repenting and without confessing, the more control, and pretty soon it consumes us, that particular sin, whatever it might be. Number seven, the temptations of demons begin with putting thoughts into our minds by talking to us, and we hear them subliminally. You have those thoughts. 
you think about what they are, pretty soon you can begin to identify uh, which ones they are and the source of them. Matthew 4, 9, he, the devil, said to him, Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And so we're, we're familiar with the temptation of Jesus by Satan and ask the question, how did he tempt him? What was his tool? What was his methods? He just talked to him. He said to him, he said to him, he said to him. That's how he tempted him. That's how he tempts me. That's how he tempts you. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, paying attention to listening to uh, falling, uh, being tempted by the, these deceitful spirits. They deceive with information, with doctrines of demons. James 3.15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So a lot of people think they're wise, but that wisdom isn't from God, that which comes from above, but it's earthly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, even demonic wisdom. You ever hear anybody say, I think, I think, this is my opinion. You listen to many of those statements and they're not, it's not godly wisdom that God promises in the book of Proverbs. It's natural, earthly, and demonic. Acts 5, 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? That's an interesting question. Why? But he did. And they fell over dead. You think, wow, that wasn't that bad a sin. Well, there were some things probably that were uh, dealt with in the early days of the church, uh, just to make an example, as it were, I, I think I've told you this before. I've often thought I would be really cool if I could do that once as a pastor. <laughs> uh, you know, I, not that I particularly wanted to kill anybody, but uh, you'd, people would pay attention, I would think, after that. <clears throat> Number eight, as a person progresses in demons controlling their life, they come to the point that they are possessed. So there's a lot of debate in uh, theological circles over believers how much um, they can be and can't be. And I don't really know the answer to that other than I've dealt with a lot of people over the years. Uh, I've been to Africa where demon possession, demon worship, demon manifestation is a fairly common occurrence. And uh, people who are good as gold, as it were, read their Bibles every day, go to church every Sunday, follow all the basic disciplines, something comes along and there's a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and pretty soon they are totally controlled by the kingdom of darkness. Um, and it's sort of a sad thing to see, but it, in, it indeed happens. Matthew 8, 28, when he came to the other side into the country, the Gadarenes, two men were demon-possessed, met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. So you can read all the verses about demon possession and recognize that's a bad place to be. You don't want to get close to that. Number nine, we can grow in strength to the point that the influence that demons have on us is minimal. We can grow to the point that their influence is not much. Not much at all. I'd like to do that. I would think you would as well. That's a good place to be. 1 John 2, 13 I'm writing to you fathers. Now the term fathers, young men, he's using this not literally but in the sense of our maturity as a follower of Jesus. 
and he uses this three different times, cycles of it through First John, um, the Apostle John. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. So if you get to the point where you know him intimately, you're, you're, he was considered you quite mature, like a father. Uh, I have written, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now that's not are in the process of, it's you have. It's a done deal. You won. You stomped him. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. The Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So you don't even have to be an old man. That's a young man. You're strong. You know the word of God. You've overcome the evil one. James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. He will flee from you. I'm confident that when I start trash-talking those demons, they don't like it. And so they think, I think we'll go over and see if we can find someone a little wimpier to take on. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Resist him firm in your faith. Promises he will flee from you. Number 10, there are some basic principles in remaining free from demonic influence in your life. So these are the, the moves, the holes, the counter moves. I could have Steve come up and give us some rusting illustrations, but uh, you get the idea. You've watched enough and seen where the struggle goes, that there's uh, the aggressor and then the defender, and you know the right things. So I'm just going to give you some basic ones. They're not hard to understand. It's not rocket science at all. Number A, take every sinful thought captive. Don't let it stay in your mind. Do not do that by choosing to set your mind on the Scripture verses that you've memorized. So, I'm a demon, and I'm going to tempt Mike. Now, my advantage is that he can't see me. And so when I walk up next to him and say, Hey, dude, wouldn't it be cool if you could have a sexual relationship with that woman right over there. <laughs> Pops in his head. So, but he doesn't think, know where it's coming from because he didn't see me. Just pops in his head. So, that's what's going to occur to us through the course of a day is they're going to talk to us just like they did Jesus. And when those thoughts pop into your head, you take them captive. Now, the initial thought is not the problem. You're not going to be able to stop that. It's like hearing someone talk to you. And it's the old Chinese proverb, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. So it's not the first initial thought that's the problem. It's when you stay there, and then it starts going around and around in your head. Uh, that's where the problem comes, and that's where the sin will follow. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. War, spiritually fighting against the kingdom of darkness. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Speculations, thought patterns, we're destroying those. And, um, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I've identified eight different thought patterns that are sinful. Uh, obviously immoral thoughts. But with me, one of the ones that I struggle most against is prideful thoughts. I especially have those thoughts pop into my head when I get around a bunch of pastors. I start thinking about how much smarter I am than they are, how much better looking than I am than they are, how much better I preach than they do. And I say, where did that come from? Uh, and so I don't want that to stay there. God is opposed to the proud. Uh, so those thoughts I have to capture and not let them stay in my brain. Uh, another one that some of you struggle with because I hear you express those thoughts and words is self-pity. Uh, that's, a, that's a killer. When you start feeling sorry for yourself, you have these thoughts about, uh, nobody loves me, I'm just going to go eat worms. And uh, it just goes around in your head. It's a killer. And so you want to capture those. And covetous thoughts. Man, alive. I'd really like a pickup as nice as George's. I mean, I'm so much better person than George. I deserve a better pickup than George has. Really, certainly. And so covetous thoughts. Uh, in our culture, that's... I don't have so much problem when I look at George's pickup. What I have a problem with is when I go through the Cabela's catalog. Uh, that's when I really start coveting. And so uh, take uh, those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So I've memorized Bible verses that deal with all those eight sin patterns that pop into my head. And so when the thought pops there, sometimes it'll... It'll, and I'm not listening to what's going on in my head, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, man, you've been there for a little bit of time um, meditating on that particular uh, thought pattern, and then I'll set my mind on Scripture, on the things above, as opposed to the things of the flesh. I'll set my mind on the things of the Spirit, as opposed to the things of the world, and then meditate. And it's amazing how quickly the power of Scripture can push that out of my head. And uh, it's, a, it's just a major thing. Matthew 4, 4, he answered, that's Jesus and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that's a quotation of a verse in the book of Deuteronomy. Every time Satan spoke to Jesus, he countered that with scripture. It is written, it is written. So I do the same. And memorizing Bible verses is the best thing you can do for being a winner when it comes to facing temptation. Be examine your life from, for sin, confess all known sin to God, and choose to repent of that sin every day. 1 John 1, 9, great verse to memorize. If, 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 big word there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're removing the grounds, the legal jurisdiction that Satan has to attach himself to you. Uh, and so we are cleansing ourselves and removing um, any um, legality in the sense of following the rules that he would be able to get close so we do that every day that is so super important examine your life confess all known sin to God repent of that sin do it on an everyday basis and so some of you know the answer to this question I can skip a day when when I don't sin I have a goal of having a day like that before I die <laughs> hopefully I'll have one See, pray often with your church family. Demons can't stay in the presence of corporate prayer. It is very effective insecticide. 
So I have conversations with people in our church, and when a corporate prayer time is coming, five-day prayer event, and I start uh, using my uh, spiritual gift of nagging, uh, and I say, Bob, you ought to come to prayer. You ought to come to prayer. I, I noticed that you didn't come last time. Uh, was it because you were working busy? What was the reason? Uh, I hear all kinds of them. But you know one that I regularly hear of people who get real honest with me and is that they just have this intimidation, this sort of weird fear, nervousness. And they, yeah, lots of people have that. You know where that comes from? Those Klingons. Yeah, you got some demons riding around on you. And they, they do not want you to go to corporate prayer, and they're going to start quivering. And you feel it. <laughs> Makes you nervous. He's got this unreasonable fear. I had someone individual say to me, I was driving to corporate prayer because, you know, I just, you just nagged at me. And I said, okay, i got to go. Halfway there, I just got phys- physically nauseous and sick. I thought I was going to throw up. So I went back home. He says, man, you want to get rid of those dudes. Uh, I showed oh, years ago when I talked about this principle, I went online and found a clip of a sheep ranch in Australia. And they had a couple thousand sheep and they were doing their annual sheep dip. I don't know if it was annual or not, but they had all these sheep and they funneled them in. They had this big concrete pit in the ground and they filled it full of water, put a bunch of insecticide in it, and they ran the sheep all the way through it and they climbed out the other side to get rid of the ticks. So demons are like ticks. They just burrow in here, and they burrow in here, and you got one up here, and you got, you know, and then they're jabbering at you. You got to go through some spiritual sheep dip. <laughs> Five-day corporate prayer event is the best sheep dip there is. They get in there, they cannot handle that. They can't stand that, that praying, asking for God's presence. He inhabits the praises of his people, and he inhabits the prayers of his people. When two or three of you have gathered together in my name for the purpose of asking, seeking, knocking, there I am. And... Uh, so you want to get clean of those dudes, come to five days of prayer and come for more than 30 minutes for the five days. I mean, it would be great. Five days, you can do anything for five days. You can sleep less, eat less, work less, watch less television, watch less basketball. You can adjust your schedule amazing. Just five days and invest your life in a corporate prayer event so that when you come out the other side, you're, oh, wow, it feels so good. You got rid of those dudes. And so then you want to follow these other principles so they don't get come back because they, they'll come back. They want to come back quick. They like you. Uh, your blood tastes good. And so you want to keep them off by following these other principles. But corporate prayer is a great way. D, choose to be faithful in worship service attendance. Demons can't stay in the presence of God being worshiped. I challenge you, just do the study in Psalms. Recognize the number of places where the context is dealing with enemies and then how worship comes into play there. How worship comes into play. And one of the things was important is that when you are here and we're worshiping, that your mind is here and that you're focused and you're Uh, worshiping with all your heart, with all your might. Jesus said, these people worship me in vain. Uh, They worship me with their lips, but their heart is far away. 
And so I disciplined my thinking and my mind to keep it here and to direct my words to him. I always pick a spot right up on top of the cross there, and I sort of visualize the Shekinah glory. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, when the Shekinah glory appeared around the tabernacle, I just kind of pretend it's up there. And I think, I wonder what I would do if it was real. I wonder if I'd start thinking about fishing then. Uh, and so I want to worship well. E, every day in your personal private prayer time, ask God for protection. So if you read through the Psalms, 150 chapters, and take your red crayon or use your, your, your Bible program and just highlight it in red, and then go back and read the number of places that's there, all that dealing with the enemies, and then look and, and just make an extra highlight with the word protect, a guard, those kinds of synonyms, protect, guard, that is part of the, and you'll see that repeated over and over and over again. The word deliver, deliver me from my enemies, protect me from my enemies, guard me from my enemies. Um, you'll see over 100 references in Psalms that use one of those words. So if that's there for us to read, it's there for a reason. And so it's a key part of our praying to him that he, God, would be our protector. He would be our, our, our guard, our deliverer. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a, uh, the class on angels and that when um, uh, we pray, God commissions angels. And when we pray, he energizes them. And there's a war going on over our heads. We talk about the word spiritual warfare. It's not us fighting. It's angels and demons fighting over the control of the lives of people. The more I pray, the more angels are commissioned. The more I pray, the more they're energized. And, uh, and so when I cry for protection for the, uh, to protect me and guard me. Remember Gehazi with Elisha uh, was in the city and they were surrounded by the enemy and Gehazi says, ah, what are we going to do? And, and Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees these angels everywhere and chariots of fire. And hey, don't sweat it. Check out our protection. And so God protects and he guards and he delivers. But one of the things that he wants us, us for depend on that and to seek him and to pray prayer is a great gift given to us from god but it's again you've heard me say this before it's not a please pass the potatoes we see prayer as a simple request we ask and god does it or he doesn't and then we're done uh, prayer is is laboring it is uh, requires importunity that is we keep at it we keep knocking on the door knocking on the door knocking on the door we're like the widow that goes to the unrighteous judge we keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and so the principle is the same in much prayer much blessing little prayer little blessing no prayer no blessing attach that to spiritual warfare in much prayer i win little prayer eh, maybe some days no prayer i'm a total victim so it's pretty much up to us. God's given us the, the, the uh, resource. He's given us the tool, the power, but we are too busy, too distracted to pray much, and therefore we don't do well. Now, one of the things that's clear uh, from Ephesians 6 is I can pray for you, and I can ask God to protect you, and you can do the same. 
and that we're to intercede for each other all the time. If we see anybody going sideways, we, we pray for them. So I pray for everybody in our church by name every week. I have you in my iPad under my prayer app, and most of you, I have your picture with your name. And if I notice anything strange going on, I pray, Lord, protect them, protect them, deliver them. Don't let the evil one have his way with them. Uh, bring it to their attention. Somehow, Lord, draw them back towards you. And so I have that authority in your life as your pastor, and you have that authority for others in your life. We especially have that authority in the life of our kids to pray and intercede for them every single day that God would deliver them from the evil one, protect them from temptation. And prayer is our greatest tool when it comes to battling the kingdom of darkness. And uh, so we don't want to neglect it. So demons are real, and they mess up a lot of people, but greater is he who is in me than is in the world, and I have the tool of prayer, and I can indeed stomp them. Uh, Romans 6, we will trample Satan under our feet. And, uh, and so I pray with great confidence that when I pray, God listens. When I pray, angels go uh, smack them on the head and chase them away and make their life miserable. And so... I continually laugh at them and make fun of them when I pray. You wimps, go find someone weaker to pick on, not me, not JBC. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you didn't leave us helpless. We're not victims. Demons are real. They're powerful. They're influential. There's probably a whole lot of them. But You've given us the gift of prayer, the power of prayer, and we can resist him strong in our faith, and he will flee from us. And we thank you for that great strength. And we can be like the young men in 1 John. We are strong, and the word of God abides in us, and we've overcome the evil one. We would be those kinds of victors, those kinds of strong people who make a difference in our world because we're not constantly battling uh, the darkness, the temptations. Uh, the evil that pops into our minds so regularly. Use us for your glory, Lord, as soldiers. Use our church as the army of God. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.